When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Happy to be together for another episode of the Greek and Christian podcast. And hey, my favorite co-host is with me today uh, to talk about our very important topic for this week. But before we get into that, I just want to say, hey, hey, John. Hey, Allison. How you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I, for our audience, you can't see me, but I am currently recording this podcast from my car. <laughs> this is officially the weirdest <laughs> place that I've ever recorded a podcast. Um, we're not like those fancy podcasts that have paid sponsors who have cool recording rooms. Um, we are a nonprofit. So I'm in the so car. So if you'd like to hear more of the Greek and Christian podcast, pay so Allison can uh, <laughs> That's right, get, get out of her room. car. <laughs> so I won't go into the reason why I'm in my car this morning, but that is where I have found myself. <laughs> so I'm Yeah, hey. how are you, John? Uh, as we're recording this, um, it's going to go live in February, end of February, but we are recording it during the first week of the Winter Olympics. Have you watched any of the Olympics? I have not, actually. Yeah. I'm not a big Winter Olympics fan. I'm just not a big Ooh. winter fan in general. Uh, I can understand I'm much that. more of a warm weather type of yeah. person. So, uh, yeah. you know, I might catch some highlights, watch some clips, something like that. But I'm not an yeah. avid follower, yeah. I must say. Confess. Yes. And if you if y'all recall, y'all recall. Whoa, oh, that look was. Look at you. My goodness. Not a southerner, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm starting to rub off on you. I guess you are, uh, but our friend John Jamac, he lives in Charleston, South Carolina, um, and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, building a house in Park City, Utah. And fun fact, my neighbor is a Olympic ski and snowboarding coach, so he is over at the Olympics right now in China. So. Yeah, man, pretty cool. Yeah. Rush with greatness. I know. I do feel that way a little bit. <laughs> But anyway, John, um, I want to reorient our audience on uh, what we're talking about this season and get into our topic, because I think it's going to be a really excellent episode this week. Um, so if you all are just joining us, we are in the middle of a new season all about leadership. And, you know, I think for many of us, leadership is what drew us to the Greek system. Right. Greeks are natural leaders. I don't have to go into the statistics about it, uh, but I really think that Greeks understand the secret sauce of leadership. Uh, but the question we're posing this season is, what about spiritual leadership? What does it look like to be a spiritual leader in my fraternity or in my sorority? Uh, maybe you're leading a Bible study or you took over a Bible study in your fraternity or sorority, or maybe just maybe God is bringing up this desire in you to connect your faith with your Greek leadership. Uh, so this season, each episode, we are spotlighting a different challenge to our spiritual leadership. If you've been listening so far, you've heard our episode about success and failure. Uh, we've also been talking about rejection and reputation, caring for our mental health. And this week, we're going to be talking about crisis. So how do we respond in our spiritual leadership when crisis happens in our chapters? Uh, so this is your trigger warning for this episode that, you know, we will be discussing sensitive and difficult topics like death, hazing, sexual assault, uh, drug use, etc. Um, and so I do want to give you a fair warning that this will be a heavier episode than normal. But you know, J-Mac and I, we're your Big, I'm your big sis, J-Mac is your big bro in Greek University, and so we're going to walk through this difficult topic with you. Um, and so, right, these crises might 
have already happened in your fraternity sorority, or you might be just wondering, what do I do? Or even, you know, protests around Greek life. If you have the abolished Greek life movement happening on your campus, how do you respond uh, to that type of crisis? So that is what we're going to be discussing today. And so John is actually going to share his story that he dealt with in his fraternity Um, And then we're also going to have a guest join us. We'll introduce him later, but I'm excited. Our guest is our national director for Greek University, Brian Mann. So should be pretty good content today, John. Yeah, should be good. So yeah, heavier episode. You've been warned. If you were looking for a light, uh, you know, light content on a walk to class, uh, then (laughs) go check out a different episode uh, and save this one for, uh, you know, different headspace uh but it's good uh these mm-hmm. these things happen right in greek life we yes. see the headlines uh tragedy happens crisis strikes uh for many different reasons and uh we believe yeah that we have a role to play uh you mm-hmm. know uh, and we'll get into that uh that we can offer value uh we can be a, a redemptive presence presence for our brothers and sisters in the midst of crisis um so we'll kind of get into that. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get started. And so, John, I'd love if you could tell us about a crisis that happened in your fraternity when you were a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I will tell the story about Jay and Ben. Uh, so Jay and Ben were biological brothers, same fraternity, but they were also uh, brothers Uh, by family. Uh, So Jay was a senior, Ben was a freshman. Uh, They were grandsons of a state legislator uh, in South Carolina, uh, both engineering majors, smart guys, bright future, uh, like have all the potential, right? They had all the markings of like what Allison talked about. They were leaders uh, in Greek life. Uh, they were also both big guys. Uh, they played offensive line uh, on their high school football teams. Uh, and these guys were like big teddy bears. Like everyone loved these guys. They were funny, fun-loving guys. Uh, and, it, you know, they were always doing stupid, you know, antics stuff. So it would be no surprise to see them show up to a pool party wearing Speedos, you know. Uh, so to see, you know, 250 pounds uh, in a Speedo is both – funny and disturbing uh, at the same time. You know, those are the sights that you can't unsee. Uh, Or they'd walk up to you at a party and they'd be those guys that put their arm around you and tell you how much they love you, you know, and just espouse Mm -hmm. their, how great you are. And so everybody loved uh, Jay and Ben. And Jay and I were pledge brothers. Uh, We were same pledge class and we were seniors together. Uh, We were living in a house near campus with two of our other pledge brothers uh, at the time. So this story, uh, the moment uh, that the the crisis struck, took place in December of my senior year. It was at our Christmas party at our fraternity house. And for us, Christmas party was uh, the first party after initiation. Uh, And so it was the first time that all the fall pledges uh, could attend a party as full brothers. So it was always fun for everybody, but it was especially fun for all the freshman guys uh, like Ben that had just been initiated and were official fraternity brothers. And so it was a great celebration. So for me, uh, the moment started uh, the day after uh, Christmas party. So it was the morning after Mm -hmm. Christmas party, uh, and it started with a, a phone call. Uh, I was uh, at my house near campus, the same one that Jay and uh, other brothers uh, lived at. And I remember waking up to my phone ringing, which I thought was my alarm. uh, And so I just silenced it. Uh, I didn't get home the night before until, you know, 2.30, 3 a.m. I was hanging out uh, with everybody, so I was exhausted. Um, But then my phone rang again. So I looked at it, and it was Tyler, my little brother in the fraternity, uh, fraternal little brother, not biological, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, it was Tyler on the phone, and I looked at the clock. It was like 8 a.m., and I was like, he's just trying to prank me right now. Like, I'm not picking this up. So silenced it again. It rang again. Uh, and then finally, I, I picked it up, and I was like, dude, what in the world? Uh, <laughs> why are you calling right now? And Tyler just said, is Jay home? And I was like, I don't know why. 
And at that moment, I realized that I could hear people shouting loudly in the background. And not like fun party shouting. Uh, it was the like something's wrong uh, kind of mm -hmm. shouting. And so at this point, I, I kind of sit up in my bed realizing, okay, something's going on. Uh, and I just said, dude, what, what is happening? And Tyler lived out at the fraternity house where the Christmas party was. And I was like, dude, what is going on at the fraternity house? And he just told me, Ben died this morning. And it was like, in that moment, it's like a wave of ice cold water, you know, just washing mm. over you. Like, lose your breath, instant cold sweats, ears ringing. Uh, and, you know, Tyler went on to say, Ben died of alcohol poisoning uh, this morning. Um, and <laughs> it gets even worse. He said, the coroner is here and he needs a family member to come identify the body. Uh, can you tell Jay to come to the fraternity house? Wow. Man, it still gets me uh, telling this story. It's been a while since it happened. Mm -hmm. And so m my response was just, dude, like, oh my gosh. Like, do his parents know? Uh, like, I, I don't know if I can be the one to tell him that kind of news. Uh, um, and Tyler was just like, can you just try? You know, mm. we, we need him to, to come out here. And so I was like, sure. And uh, <clears throat> at that, that point, it's like out-of-body experience. You know, I got out of bed, started walking uh, towards my door, but it's like I'm not even the one moving. You know, it's like I'm just I'm moving, uh, but it's not me that's doing it. Uh, I walk out of the room and, and here was the next eerie thing that I remember uh, about this moment is that as soon as I opened my bedroom door uh, and stepped out into the hallway, all I could hear was cell phones ringing everyone's cell phone in the house was ringing off the hook. It was like this awful wow. symphony of ringtones because everybody was trying to get a hold of Jay. Everybody that knew, everybody at the fraternity house was, was calling everybody at our house trying to get a hold of Jay. Um, so I'm sitting there staring at Jay's door, uh, which is closed uh, at the time. And I was just like, I don't have the guts uh, to tell him alone. I've got to go get somebody else. And so I went and I woke up another one of our pledge brothers uh, that was sleeping on the couch and uh, told him uh, the news, broke the no news to him. Same kind of experience uh, for him coming to, to grips with it. Uh, and then someone finally got a hold of Jay. And at that point, it's just like, you could only imagine uh, receiving that kind of news. Uh, I mean, just awful scream, door slamming, uh, Jay running out of the house, uh, just like storming out of the house uh, into our driveway. Uh, and um, eventually, like all the rest of the, our pledge brothers in the house uh, were up at that point. Uh, you know, you're telling everybody the news, they're coming to grips with it. And... And, you know, in the moment, we just walked out uh, and Jay's just, you know, standing there in, in the driveway, like completely in shock, uh, sobbing. And, you know, we just gathered around him and we just hugged him. I mean, and we just mm -hmm. kind of cried together uh, there in the driveway for a long time. Uh, and eventually, you know, Jay... Uh, threw on some clothes and then drove out to the, the fraternity house to meet the coroner uh, and go through that process, you know. So that was the moment. <laughs> I mean, wow. uh, the crisis that struck that day and the aftermath is what, what you could imagine. You know, the rest of that day is a blur. Uh, meeting his parents, uh, you know, everyone that knew Jay and Ben again, they were so, they were the most beloved guys uh, by so many people. And so all the sorority girls that uh, hung out with us and all of, uh, you know, um, other fraternity brothers were coming by the house and um, you're seeing people. And the rest of that year, uh, you know, the rest of our senior years was really a blur. You know, family gatherings, mm. going to funerals uh, together, 
when it happened, I mean, the day after it was on the front page of the local newspaper, they ended up making national news uh, at one point. Uh, series of investigations, you know, started uh, by the fraternity, by the university, by the police, local police department, uh, of which, you know, uh, there was no criminal activity uh, or charges or anything involved. Uh, it was not hazing related. Uh, it was just, it ended up at the end of the day, Ben was a freshman guy that just got an initiated into the fraternity and he was having, you know, trying to have a good time, just like every stereotypical fraternity guy, typical guy does. Uh, and he ended up drinking far too much that night, you know, mm -hmm. and it's part of the tragedy of it all. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like the tragic loss uh, of a beautiful life, you know, and mm -hmm. all the potential that he had. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, you know, that was uh, when the crisis struck. Uh, those are the these are the type of examples you know the, that we're talking about uh, today yeah. so yeah thanks for sharing that John um, just wow I can't imagine yeah. you know going through something like that and I mean I think of some of the crises in my life and it's like the moment you first hear of it is like imprinted on your brain and then this like blur afterward you know of just totally yeah. Oh, it's so much. What, so I heard you share a little bit about this, but you know, you're you're sharing about telling Jay and you know all mm -hmm. the aftermath that happened. But what was this like for you personally, walking through this? I mean, it's not like these were just mm -hmm. some brothers that you know you had a acquaintance with. I mean, they were pledge brother, you know, younger brother of your pledge brother. Like these were people you were close with. And so, what was this like for you personally? Yeah. Yeah. Um, initially it's the shock, you know, as you could imagine, uh, there, there are a lot of things that consume the mental space of a 20 something year old in college. Oh yeah. Death is not one of them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, death, death is something that you may think about in a nursing home. It's not something you often think about in a fraternity house, you know, it's just right. not even on the radar, uh, to, to respond to that kind of experience, you know, and it was like nothing in my life up to that moment had really prepared me uh, for that experience. Mm -hmm. I had had some grandparents that had passed away, um, but you you can anticipate that, right? Uh, but in these instances, uh, it's a shock. No no one was anticipating this. No one expected this. Is the furthest thing from everybody's mind. So you're just kind of right. reeling from the shock of it all, and you're just trying to to make sense around it, you know, wrap your head around it, uh, the finality of it, the fact that it happened, that it mm -hmm. can't be undone, uh, all those sorts of things um, are just kind of flooding your mind. And it just kind of consumes your headspace. <laughs> you know, uh, you still got to go to class, you know, but life goes on. You still got to do all the normal things. Uh, we had to take finals that week. It was the end of the, the fall semester. Oh, my gosh. But it's like, you know, you're sitting in the library trying to study for a final, uh, but the only thing you can think about uh, at that moment is everything that's going on. It almost, it feels for like, sure. you know, it almost trivializes everything. Like, what does this class even matter? What does this test even matter? You know, what does any right. of this uh, really matter in the, the grand scheme of it all, you know? And so you start, you wrestle with those bigger questions, you know, of life, like, you know, the man, this is, this is life. Like this isn't a, a game, you know, these are real life significant, um, implications to the lifestyles that we live and the things that, you know, we're doing. And so you're kind of thinking through those, um, obviously uh, lots of, uh, like what ifs scenarios, right. you, you go through those, uh, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, uh, if I could go back yeah. in time, uh, sort of deal, uh, which I saw Ben the night before at the party. I saw him, you know, at the beginning of the party, saw him around the party. At one point, he, again, he, he came up to me, put his arm around me, telling me how much he loved me and how, you know, he's so happy to be fraternity brothers now and pledge season's over. And it's like, you know, you love this guy. Uh, and I saw him late that night, right before I left the fraternity house, you know, early in the morning in the AM hours, um, he was sleeping on the couch, uh, you know, 
passed out on the couch. No one was messing with him. He was safe in a room on his own, uh, still breathing, looked normal, looked like every other like fraternity brother that you've seen uh, sleep after a party, you know, uh, which that's just kind of the, you know, in retrospect, you start thinking, it's just like, man, I've seen, you know, a hundred guys uh, in a similar situation over my four years in school. And it just kind of numbs you to it uh, because you just expect them to wake up the next morning, you know, and they'll have a really bad hangover or whatever. And, and you know, you'll go from there. Uh, but you start asking, what if, like, well, if I just like, did this or, you know, if we had just like tried to wake him up or if we just, you know, uh, made sure somebody was like, you know, standing right beside him the whole time, you know, and checking on him yeah. or, you know, maybe we should have just taken him to the hospital. Like all those things uh, that you try to replay history or revise history in your mind, uh, which you can't do, which just leads to the deep sadness and tragedy of it all, you know, yeah. um, of just accepting like it happened. It's awful. It can't be undone. Um, and it's a tragic loss. And, uh, I think for me personally too, right. I, I was pledge brothers with Jay. Uh, I had spent mm -hmm. four years of college with Jay, lots of life uh, right. with Jay. I just got to know Ben, but Jay was one of my best friends in uh, the fraternity and we lived together in that house with the two other guys. And so, I mean, I saw you know, uh, in close proximity, what it's like for uh, someone to lose their brother uh, who they love deeply. And so day in and day out, you're kind of seeing somebody walk through that. And uh, that's really tough, you know, because everything in you wants to do something to make it better. Um, mm -hmm. But there's nothing you can do, you know, to, to fix it. Uh, sort of, you can't fix it. Uh, I do think there's some role that we play. Um, but yeah, you're just kind of in the midst of it, uh, walking, yeah. walking through it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well, thank again, thank you for sharing this really honestly and vulnerably really appreciate it. And, you know, we are, we're going to take a break. Um, just, you know, we usually take a break on our program anyway, but I think it's just good for us to give uh, some space for this to breathe, especially, you know, if, if you're listening to this and like, wow, this is, I need to process this for a minute, like, feel free to hit pause. You know, we usually do have about 10 to 20 seconds of music, you know, to do the break, yeah. but feel free to hit pause and just take a minute, um, to process this story and how it's resonating with you. And, you know, when we come back, uh, we're going to start to talk a little bit about, John, your leadership in the midst of this, because um, I believe you were chaplain during this mm -hmm. um, time, right? Yeah. And then we're yeah. also going to bring on our national director to kind of say, okay, you're, if you're leading through this, or even if you're not in an official leadership position, but, you know, you're seeking to care for and love your brothers and sisters well through a crisis, you know, how do we respond? So we'll take a quick break and be back in just a bit. All right, we are back from that break, um, and we're going to bring on our guest. Uh, our guest this week, as I said before, is our national director, Brian Mann. Um, and Brian is a Delta Upsilon alum. Um, you may have heard me before say that Mark is my favorite DU, but I have to confess something. I was lying during that episode. I just wanted to make Mark feel really good that week. Um, Brian is actually my favorite Delta Upsilon on that I know. We'll Brian, how does that make Thanks, Allison. Yeah, I, I, uh, I will take that as true uh, because Thank it's you. in my favor. Yes. <laughs> 
So anyway, Brian, you know, he's our national director for Greek InterVarsity. He went to the University of Illinois um, and has served for a long time. He served as the Greek University staff at the University of Illinois, um, and now he currently lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. But you know, Brian has some thoughts about ministering in the midst of crises, um, and he has some personal experience of doing that when he was um, a brother in DU at the University of Illinois. So Brian, you know, I'm going to kick things over to you a little bit. You have this kind of idea of yellow tape ministry, how you call it. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about, you know, your experience of leading through crisis and then what is this whole idea of yellow tape ministry? Yeah, well, as John already said, um, I think none of us most students on campus are not expecting there to be situations that arise that involve these sort of tragic circumstances or crisis level events. And yet, um, having served on campus for a long time now, um, I would say it is probably the expectation should be that it's more regular than not that these sort of mm. crisis events will happen. Um, mm. And think. It's a thing to be grateful for if they don't happen in your direct environment or on your campus. Um, but in larger campus environments, uh, I don't think it's likely that most students will um, not be directly or indirectly impacted by these sort of events. And so if right. we're not right. surprised by the, per, uh, the, the number and the um, nearness of these sort of events, then we have to start thinking, okay, well, how do I think about and engage these things when they happen? Um, once I uh, had kind of a metaphor or analogy um, that helped me at least conceptualize a little bit of what these events are like, um, and most of these events uh, involve the bringing out of the police yellow tape, um, right? We can kind of picture mm -hmm. that from uh, either real life events or just crime TV shows where the police bring out the yellow tape and they section off a, uh, a crime scene. And there's really two things that that signifies. One is something tragic has happened here. And then the second is that now there's two sides of that yellow tape. There are those on the inside of the yellow tape in close proximity to what happened, and there are those on the outside of the yellow tape who are observers or um, outside of the direct impact. And I think um, when it comes to these sort of crisis situations, uh, the sort of dynamic that needs to be, um, I guess, considered would be uh, how close am I to the situation and that might start to dictate uh, how one engages. Mm -hmm. It's a helpful, uh, it's a helpful concept uh, because I think it helps uh, clarify, um, gives you context and orientation mm -hmm. to where where are you at in proximity uh, to this. You know, uh, if you're on the inside of the tape, that probably um, there's probably a different set of uh, responses or like things that you do uh, if you're on the inside of it, like I was mm -hmm. uh, actually being in the fraternity and um, having the yellow tape put around our fraternity house, you know, uh, um, versus somebody who's on the outside. If you were part of a different fraternity or if you were one of those sorority women, uh, you know, uh, that was really good mm -hmm. friends with Jay and um, those sorts of things, you know, so as you as you've thought about it uh, in regards to yellow tape and these two different audiences or two different positions that you can be in, have you thought about um, different responses or roles uh, that you play, whether or not you're on the inside or outside? Yeah, I, I think the natural tendency for the majority of people is to want to minimize or pretend like the situation isn't happening. There's a natural mm -hmm. response of disbelief, mm -hmm. of feeling like this can't be happening, and a numbness that can set in. 
um, which can lead to inactivity or passivity in terms of what's happening in, in the situation. Which, while none of that is bad, um, I think some of what you were describing there of if this is something happen that happens in close proximity to you, I think some of our calling would be leading us to say, how can I be a spiritual shepherd in this moment? Mm. How can I actively engage and care for the people around me that I love that are hurting, uh, including my own self? Um, but how, how do I engage them um, and have eyes for how God's at work and caring for them? And that you're the very person who has something grounding and good to offer them in the midst of mm. something that's not very good at all. And, mm -hmm. you know, the reality is that that's part of what we believe is that um, we serve and worship a God who brings good out of things that are not meant for good. Um, that yeah. places yeah. of brokenness and death and hurt um, can be redeemed and made new. And while we would never uh, promise that to be a shortcut or a, uh, a quick fix or that any of this stuff can just, you know, disappear. Rather, the presence of God coming through you to be with people, to pray with people, to offer to care well for people, um, I think is the greatest gift that you could offer in this situation mm -hmm. that you'd be that spiritual shepherd. Yeah, I think that's good, Brian. Um, yeah, you know, we're not s addressing this topic to scare you, audience members, right? Or to, like, make you afraid or looking around every corner for something bad to happen on campus. We're addressing this issue because these thing things happen on campus. It might not be a death, right? But it could be, you know, something that, like, the Greek system gets shut down for a few weeks because of a hazing allegation or a sexual assault allegation, or, you know, your chapter might be put on probation and you might be on the cusp of being shut down. And that's a crisis that your fraternity or sorority deals with, or it could be something external, um, you know, that happens a tragedy in the campus community or in the world that is really resonating with your chapter. And so we say this because like Brian had said, there's a, an opportunity for you to be part of God's redemptive work in the lives of your brothers and sisters. There's this opportunity to be a spiritual shepherd and to meet them right where they're at, right? The, the temptation or even the natural response would be to just, you know, shut down and just wish it didn't happen. Um, but God may be inviting you uh, to be that redemptive presence, to kind of go under the yellow tape and to be present uh, with your brothers and sisters, um, offer God's presence to them. Um, so, John, I'd love to hear a little bit, you know, what was that like for you? You were a chaplain at the time, a leader in your fraternity. And so when you hear Brian talking about this idea of yellow tape ministry or being this, this shepherd, uh, and being God's presence to your brothers and sisters, you know, how does that resonate with you? How, how did you go about that in this situation? Yeah. Well, first I would say I, I would have loved a podcast episode like this uh, to have existed back when I was in the situation uh, because it felt like I didn't have any handles uh, or orientation or um, mm. thoughts as to, what I should do. Um, so yeah, uh, to back up, I, um, to proceed what I did do, uh, just a little bit more of my story. Uh, I, yeah. I was the chaplain of the fraternity my senior year. Uh, my store faith story was in college was a tale of two halves. First two years, I was stereotypical fraternity guy. You know, I was just like Jay and Ben. Uh, I joined for none of the noble reasons. Like, you know, leadership opportunities or, you know, values, principles. It was all about big parties. And uh, when you join for that reason, it's exactly what you get. Uh, but after a powerful experience with Jesus, you know, gave my life to him and started reorienting uh, everything that I was doing, you know, around him, my personal life, social life, even, you know, touching my career path and what I was majoring in. And so the second two years of school, junior, senior year, um, we're spent like learning how to follow Jesus, what that looks like in the, especially in the Greek system, but also 
Um, how did I share that with my fraternity brothers? You know, uh, and so I started leading a Bible study, um, and um, had you know guys just like me uh, that were coming out to it uh, because I just wanted to give them an opportunity to experience Jesus like I had. So, um, all that to say. All my fraternity brothers had known uh, who I was before, you know, uh, that there was J-Mac uh, freshman, sophomore year. And then there was, uh, you know, uh, he had a religious encounter or whatever, and now he's leading Bible study and uh, he doesn't, you know, party like he used to or do the same things yeah. uh, that he used to. And so every, I was kind of outed. Uh, all that to say is like people saw me as the Jesus guy. And there was no kind of hiding uh, my fate at that point. They just knew that uh, I was the Jesus guy in, in the fraternity. Uh, and I was chaplain. Well, obviously, that's, you know, why they voted me in chaplain. It's like, well, you're the guy that's, uh, you know, uh, following Jesus. So best fits yeah. you. Um, so then coming to, you know, it's one thing to lead a Bible study. Uh, it's another thing to engage with a crisis like this, mm. you know. Uh, I barely knew what I was doing leading a Bible study. Uh, when when Ben passed away, uh, I felt woefully, like dreadfully inadequate and ill-prepared to deal with anything uh, that was now suddenly upon me. Uh, and you And you feel that pressure. You know, I joined a fraternity to make friends and have fun. Here I am enjoying Greek life. And then all of a sudden your fraternity is in the national spotlight and you're under investigation and 80 of your fraternity brothers uh, and all the other, you know, Greeks in the community that, you know, and other chapters and sorority women um, are all looking for answers. They're all trying to cope with this and deal with this. And I'm one of the guys, I wasn't only uh, the only one, but I was one of the guys that they were looking to. Like, you're the Jesus guy. Uh, you should have something to say about this uh, sort of deal. And so I, I felt the burden and pressure to like, I got to say something. I got to do something. Uh, I wish I could have, like Brian said, just like disengaged and then float, you know, back into the shadows and just... Uh, tried to make believe that it wasn't happening. Um, but I felt the tension of, you know, um, I feel like I, I should say something and I have to say something. Uh, but what do you say? And that's where I felt like woefully inadequate. Like I majored in project management. <laughs> I wasn't a professional pastor. I'm not a professional counselor. Uh, I don't have any sort of guide, uh, to help me in that respect. Um, what I did do um, is uh, spoke to the chapter. You know, we had a meeting uh, the shortly after, a few days after uh, it had happened. Uh, you know, there was kind of an emergency meeting and got all the fraternity together. Uh, there was even alumni there, uh, some national representatives uh, of the fraternity uh, that were in the room. Um, and... I tried to communicate one, uh, and I had no idea. Like, honestly, right before the meeting, I was like, I feel like I have to say something. So I just like straight up, you know, Googled Bible verses about death, you know, and just that was my one guide of just yeah. trying to look for something. Uh, and mm -hmm. um, I can't even remember the passage that I chose, but uh, just told them, you know, uh, celebrated Ben and who he was uh, and just how much we all loved him and acknowledged and empathized with him in that sense and uh, told him, you know, hey, if you're ever, if you ever need to talk to somebody, like, I'm happy to do it. I don't have all the answers, uh, but I'm happy to, you know, talk it out uh, mm -hmm. with you. And um, so that's how, you know, I initially responded in the moment. Uh, looking back in retrospect, you know, I think there's questions of uh, what could I have done? Um, but um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, uh, Brian, or different ways yeah. in which you've thought about it in terms of like, what would it look like to practically be, you know, a spiritual shepherd? Mm -hmm. If you're on the inside of the tape, um, are there sort of practical examples or, you know, helpful guides that you've thought of? Mm. Well, I, I think one is to remove um, some of what even you're describing, John, of some of the uh, 
I think the guilt or the oughts um, from the situation, I, I think it's natural in these situations for there to be shame um, mm -hmm. and defensiveness even. Um, you know, if there's a hazing incident or there's other incidents um, where there's a negligent party or someone that um, has committed wrong, then I think there can be a defensiveness or, uh, of either the house or of uh, the chapter of, of friendships. Um, but in general, I think uh, avoiding the sort of shame and defensiveness that naturally pops up and instead again, whether we're on the inside or the outside, just having a genuine open posture to God's leading. Uh, for those of us who follow Jesus, uh, I think this would be one of those situations that drives us deeper into practical um, and deliberate action of saying, okay, God help direct me very practically in this situation. Um, so if you're, if this isn't a situation that you're in um, like a, a direct contact but it's one degree removed it's a, a house next door or someplace where you know a friend and they've had a situation or a crisis occur i think there's still the opportunity for you to be a spiritual shepherd to care well for them or and or more people than you would even expect but i don't think that you have that weight or responsibility that you have to um, i think more so it's the opportunity to say okay jesus what is it you're wanting from me and what does it mean for me to be a faithful presence in this situation? Um, in particular, when you're in the midst of these sort of crisis situations, I think um, being aware of your own, um, the own, I guess, the ways that you yourself can be uh, emotionally affected by this before then you turn to be able to engage others um, has to be a big piece of it. Because if not, mm -hmm. then we start uh, responding to others out of our own emotional um, fragility, so to speak, and we're not able to bring a grounded, transformed presence into others that actually can provide the sort of buoying or stabilizing effect that they need in the moment. You know, that's a that's a good word uh, because that w would be one of the things looking back uh, that I would have done more of is allowing myself space to process my own emotions and, and how I felt uh, about Ben's death. And um, it makes me think of, uh, you know, if you've ever flown on a plane, uh, they say in an emergency situation, in the event that there's an emergency and the oxygen masks drop down from above you, put on your own mask first before helping others. You know, put on your own mask and then help children or whoever it is, um, which is always uh, it, kind of interesting, but it strikes me that like, the idea behind that is that if you're not getting air, you're not going to be able to help anybody else, you know? Uh, and I, looking back, I wish I had given myself more room to breathe, you know, that I wish uh, I had taken time to go sit in my room by myself and pull out a journal, which is a practice I did not do in college, which I think would have been really helpful is just like, get it out of my head and onto a page and, uh, and to do so prayerfully um, so that I wasn't just an emotional ball, you know, uh, walking around. Um, and I do think that in times of reflection, uh, there's, that's where God can speak to you. And uh, like you said, Brian, asking God straight up, like, what is, what would you have me do here? Like, how would you use me uh, in this situation to come out of that personal reflection and to say, um, like, you lead me. I don't have to have the answers. Uh, I think that's the other thing is that in that, you know, space releasing myself, that this is the other thing I would have done is to release myself from the pressure. Looking back in retrospect, uh, I have compassion for myself in that situation. It's like, yeah. You weren't a professional pastor or counselor. Everybody knew you weren't. Uh, that was an unnecessary thing to, to try to think that those are the things that I need to be or that I need to have like the biblical answers, you know, uh, 
or to be able to ask the right questions or do whatever, you know, that's me trying to manufacture the situation and just trying to make it right uh, or make it better on my own. I think the true and authentic place is just to accept, like, I don't know the answers. And, um, but there's still something that God can do with me here. Uh, not having the answers, not having the degrees or whatever it is you think. And so releasing myself from the pressure. And I think just, uh, being a good listener, you know, so much of in that situation, as I look back is just people need space to process because just like me, I mean, I was following Jesus at that point for two years and, you know, you get acquainted with like quiet times and prayer scripture and like people encourage you to journal and reflect and some of those things, uh, in Greek life, like nobody's taking time to process their thoughts and everything. Like you said, Brian, most, a lot of people uh, just responded with just trying to numbness, not feeling anything and just kind of ignoring it. Uh, there's escapism and people just trying to like, you know, uh, go to what they know, you know, people actually, the irony is, you know, people just go back to drinking or go back to smoking or, um, whatever it is, uh, to just, get a feel good dopamine dump, uh, and, uh, just to try to feel something, you know, and some remnants of what was good prior to the crisis. And, um, I think, you know, coming out of the personal spaces of reflection, uh, another thing that I would have done is just to be more intentional about making space for other guys to do the exact same thing not to like host a Bible study or to give them a theological lesson, but just like a group to say, Hey guys, you know, we're going to meet at, I'm just going to be at the fraternity house at 7 PM this Sunday. Uh, and we're just going to sit around and uh, we're going to talk about what happened. So if you want to show up, I'm going to be there regardless of if you are or not, you know, and then just like leave it at that. Um, because I think people just need to be heard a lot of times. Yeah, I, I think these are unsettling events, and these are events that disrupt the status quo. And like you sitting in class saying, is there anything more than this? Having a nihilistic view of where you just say, maybe this is meaningless. Um, yeah. I think these are the sort of events where you, the friends and the people you care about People that are directly impacted by events like this in crisis, it's natural to ask these questions. And, um, you know, the while it's natural to wonder if this is all meaningless, um, the reality is what we found in following God is that life is full of meaning. And while this is a disruptive, challenging moment, um, the reality is that uh, we have an ability to talk, I guess, coherently and also with hope about what could come uh, and what, what will come out of this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's good. So I think, you know, what I'm hearing from the both of you is there's an opportunity for us to press in to God and to be present with, present with our brothers and sisters when crisis or tragedy hits. Um, but it's important for us to be present with the Lord and allow him um, to meet us in the midst of that, to let go of maybe the shame, the oughts, the coulds, the woulds, um, but also to look at, you know, what, how are we processing these things to look at ourselves with curiosity and compassion. That is exactly what we talked about in the managing mental health issue, uh, episode is, you know, pausing, taking time to talk to God about the way that we're feeling, the way that we're processing. Um, and then just being that pre God's presence to our brothers and sisters. It doesn't have to be anything complicated or, crazy. You don't have to host this big Bible study, um, but it's just being present, being present with them in their grief and what they're dealing with um, and being present with the Lord ourselves through it. Um, yeah. So I appreciate both, you know, of what 
Brian, you said, and John, you said, um, any other like lingering encouragement, words of encouragement or advice for our audience, John or Brian? I would just encourage you, uh, if you um, are going through any of these sort of situations like John described, um, you don't have to be alone. I, I do yeah. think having, reaching out to a spiritual mentor who can provide perspective and care for you in the midst of it um, is critical. Uh, yes. And I think uh, all of us would love to have someone who's a few steps further down the road. Um, and so uh, that would be one of my top ones would be mm. for you to ask for help. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really good, Brian. And, you know, I say this at the end of every episode, but Greek IV wants to be there for you. Um, you know, if you, you know, obviously if you're part of a Christian ministry on your campus already, please reach out to that trusted spiritual mentor that you're already connected with. But, you know, if you don't have Greek University on your campus, you don't have a, you know, spiritual mentor in your life that you're connecting with, we want to offer that to you. Um, and so it's really easy to get connected with us. Uh, all you need to do is go on our website, greekiv.org and fill out the contact card on our homepage, or really just follow us on Instagram at Greek IV and send us a DM. Um, so we're watching our DMs and we will follow up with you and help you get connected because I agree, this is not something that you need to be doing alone. Um, and there's a lot of goodness that God wants to give you uh, through being part of a community through something like this. Um, well, John and Brian, thank you so much again for sharing these insights, John, sharing your story. Um, and I think this is a good spot for us to, to leave uh, the episode. So again, you know, don't do this alone. Reach out to us, greekiv.org, and we'll be back next week with another episode. The Greek and Christian Podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus, or partner with us, visit greek.intervarsity.org.